Welcome to the Level 10 Podcast. I'm Chris Gould, wholesaling and entrepreneurial expert. The Level 10 Podcast is focused on interviewing top entrepreneurs across multiple industries to identify what makes their businesses successful. Head over to level10official.com to learn about our courses, coaching, and much more. Well, welcome to the Level 10 Podcast. I'm Chris Gould, and we're joined by Lewis Fisk of Drive-By Homebuyers. They're a virtual wholesaling company located in Southern California. Uh, much like us, we're virtual wholesalers located in Denver doing business in Indianapolis. So excited to talk to him today about um, him and his partner's business and uh, the changes that are happening in the market and how they're adjusting to them. So welcome to the show, Lewis. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, so I think a good place to start is just Kind of tell us how you got into the game and and what that what that progressions looked like for you guys. Yeah, definitely. So the way I got into the game is I moved over here in uh, 2019 from London, and my intention was to become a realtor because I was doing it a little bit in England, and basically I was just getting paid peanuts like to what I was actually doing, and I knew how much money you could earn out here doing that, so that was my intention. And so I was doing my classes and then I found a job on Indeed uh, with a real estate investor based in Irvine, California. And so I went along, um, got the job, and it turns out he was virtually wholesaling in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And he was like doing TV ads and um, radio ads, I believe. And I was just like, it just opened my mind to this whole concept of being able to wholesale real estate to investors, do fix and flips, all virtually. So that really opened my, my eyes. And then at the beginning of the pandemic uh, in 2020, uh, I left that job and I actually got my mortgage license and just basically started smashing out refinances left, right and center. And I was doing that through 2020 up until November uh, 2021. And by that time in November, myself and my partner, Jake, we'd, cut, we'd started the wholesaling business and we were just doing it like after work uh, when we could. And we closed our first two deals in November. And that's when we were like, right, let's, let's do this. So we both quit our jobs. He was also doing mortgages. So we both had like a good amount of savings that we'd saved up. And we ended up getting an office space in San Clemente. Uh, we paid our lease a year up front. So that was like us basically like really committing to this, like, right, we've paid this now, like, let's, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And then basically since January, which was when we really started like full-time um, integrating like processes, systems, learning as much as we could. Um, our first month in January, we did about uh, 30,000 in revenue. And then since then, we've been like consistently hitting that and growing up to around 50,000. And now our goal is to get it to the 100,000, which hopefully next month will be our first month hitting that. That's so awesome. that's where we, we kind of stand with the business. Uh, we've grown a small team so far. Uh, we have Mark, who I'm sitting next to, he's our follow-up specialist. And then we have uh, three closers and a disposition rep. Wow, that's awesome. I was going to ask the structure of your team. So talk to me about how, uh, you know, who did you hire first after you and Jake? Who was that next person? And then kind of how did you build it from there? So after myself and Jake, we hired um, just some friends, really. 
one of them was a previous loan officer and then one of them just was like a family friend. And at that point, we weren't really in a position to hire. So we didn't really have like the training in place or enough leads coming in to keep everyone like busy and putting enough opportunities on their plate. So that didn't really work out with those. We just kind of parted as friends. It wasn't working. And then we joined a mentorship group uh, with Tiffany and Josh High. So results driven. We flew out to Columbus and they really helped us set like a good structure and taught us how to like consistently bring in leads, uh, put the systems in place. So then we hired uh, our first closer, George, and he's still with us. And then Jake's brother, Anthony, who actually works virtually from Texas. Mm-hmm. And then, then we hired uh, William, who's our disposition rep, because we were getting deals under contract, but we weren't necessarily like moving them too fast and we didn't have enough time for Jake and I to like really smash out these like deals. So we hired William and then Mark, who's our follow-up specialist. So he goes through our whole CRM, uh, calls all of the leads that we haven't been able to get in touch with, um, rejected offers, long-term follow-ups to try and provide opportunities for our closers. And then Gary, who is our, our most recent hire, he's a closer and he's doing really well right now. Um, he's up to speed on analyzing deals and he's just smashing out offers left, right and center. So that's kind of what the team looks like in regards to like our in-house team. That's uh, really interesting about the three closers. So I'm curious, like, how does that process work when a lead comes in for you guys? Like, are, is it first to get to it or, and then also like, are they doing like dialer work too, to get there, to pull stuff out? So originally we had it set up. So once a lead would come in, we would assign it to a closer and we would kind of do it on like a rotation. Um, but what we found is like, that wasn't really providing like too much of a motivation to like really get these people on the, on the phone and like do the process call, make the offers. So recently we switched it up. So as soon as a new untouched lead comes in, it's basically a free-for-all until someone actually gets them on the phone and does a process call. And then once the process call has been done, that lead is, uh, that closes, like they own that lead um, until they make an offer. Or like if it gets under contract, of course, it's that closes. If they make an offer and it gets rejected, then it goes into our follow-up system. And if they do a process call, which is, so we do like a three call close. So the first call is the process call. Um, Once that's been done, that closer owns the lead for three days. And if there's been no movement on that lead uh, for the three days, like no offer's been made or it's not really going anywhere, then it's basically up for grabs again. Mm, That's good because it creates that sense of urgency of like, you got to get it done. Yeah, that's really interesting. And we're in Tiffany and Josh's program too. And if you're listening out there and you're not familiar with Tiffany and Josh, high results driven, highly recommend their education program. Uh, It's really changed our business. Um, But we have, we have one closer, one follow-up specialist. And with that being the case, there isn't that sense of competition um, to, to like really get in there quickly. And I think that um, we're looking at making a pivot to taking our follow-up specialist and moving him into being a closer and then bring on a VA follow-up specialist. So um, 
kind of brings me to my next question for you about um, having someone virtual on the team. Um, do you find that challenging with the live transfer process, FOB specialist to, are you, and are you guys doing that right now or uh, you can talk to me about that? Yeah. So in regards to the live transfer, we're not really having too much issues in regards to that. I would say the biggest challenge with having like one virtual closer compared to everyone else in the office is more on like the culture side of things and also the sales training mm-hmm. because we we have our daily meetings on Microsoft Teams, which is great. But then with our sales training, like we like to do it like in the office. So it's kind of harder to get him involved in that, which I would say is our biggest challenge in regards to having a virtual closer compared to in office. And of course, like when we go out for lunch and stuff like that, like he's in Texas. So right, the right. most we can do is like order him a pizza. Right, right. We've done that too. We're like, hey, go get a salad and then be on Zoom while we're at lunch, <laughs> like having fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's probably the biggest challenge for us. But we're working on like working on that, like integrating him more into the team. Um, so that's one thing we're definitely working on. Totally. You mentioned that you're in a couple of different markets right now. And I was curious, like, what your hypothesis is on, like, going really deep into one market versus, like, going, I'm not saying you're not going deep in other markets, but what's your theory on, like, really focusing on one versus, like, testing out a bunch and then sort of deciding from there? Or maybe just tell me that process of how you guys decided, let's go in multiple cities. Yeah, so... Our market of Indiana, we mainly focus on St. Jo- St. Joseph County and also like Marion County, Indianapolis and surrounding areas. And what we found is like we have six cold callers, so we need a certain amount of data to provide to them. And there's only a certain amount of data available in these like slightly smaller markets. Because uh, I think St. Joseph County, which is where we've done the majority of our deals, uh, I think it's got a population of around 100,000. So there's a very limited amount of data, whereas what that's the reason we're going into some other markets so that we can just keep bringing more deal flow in. Mm. And we have gone very deep in, in that Indiana market. And I think that we did that, which will allow us to then know how to do it in these other markets as well. And by no means are we slowing down in Indiana at all we're actually still like speeding it up and going deeper. And we've got like our team on the ground. We have our processes in place. So we're just kind of like dabbling in some of these other markets to get our first couple of deals. And then we'll go like deep into those as well. Yeah. But we're just kind of testing the water a little bit. But I do think it's very important to like really grasp one market first rather than just like spreading thin. Yeah, that's a really good word on it. And I, I like what you're saying about the, you know, at a certain point, you just run out of phone numbers to call for people if you're just in one city. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, are you having any struggles with like consistent boots on the ground to go see houses when you're getting deals kind of all across the state? No, not really. We usually just um, find a local Facebook group, hit someone up, um, say, is anyone interested in walking through some properties for us? They take photos on their iPhone and we pay 50 to 100 bucks. And then we get them to take like 60 plus photos, uh, of course, of all the mechanicals, the exterior, a couple photos in each room and the interior. 
and then we provide them with our inspection sheet to fill out as well. Um, and I haven't found any trouble actually finding these people, but it's a little bit harder to find someone that's actually good at it and like kind of knows what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, we've just found someone else on the ground that's willing to do it. Who's actually one of our buyers mm. and he's a contractor. Mm. So he can then go into the property, take all the photos we need, give us a bid. And we, we said, look, you get first dibs. If you want it, it's yours. Great. So that's what I think we're going to start trying to find more of when we're going into new markets. Someone that can give us a bid, take photos and potentially be a buyer mm. all in one. Yeah, that's really good. We um we use the person that goes and takes photographs to go do that secondary walkthrough when you bring the investors. And I I find that that when it's someone that's sort of one off, it can be hard to really communicate to them like, hey, you're the barrier between the investor and whoever's there and like redirect questions to us. Sometimes I found that those folks will go, they'll overstep too much. And like the investor is just like, hey, so how long you lived here? And then the 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 person that's doing the showing will be like, don't talk to each other. And then it makes it really weird. So um, we've, we've had, we actually recently had someone going behind our back that was our inspector and then going and trying to like basically getting the seller's phone number, calling them and then saying, whatever they're paying you, I'll pay you more, which is illegal to do that. I mean, it's, it's torturous interference with a contract, but like someone that's doing stuff for 50 bucks, they don't really care about that. They don't have much to lose a lot of those people. So um, anyways, it's just a, a, a another part of our business that we share in common. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, fortunately, that hasn't really happened to us. I'm sure it will because I know it's like pretty common. Um, we've had it where we've posted a deal in, in Facebook groups and then other investors have gone directly to that seller. Um, and if that does happen, we just say, look, you're not getting any of our deals anymore. You're blacklisted. Yeah. Um, sucks for you, but you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. So it is, a, it's definitely a problem. I think, um, I think it's because there's a lot of wholesalers out there that don't really know what they're doing. They don't have fiduciary duty. They don't really care like for the seller, for us, but they are just looking out for themselves. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're in a kind of industry, I feel like, where it's obviously very unregulated. So you're going to get a lot of people that do that. And it's just part of the game. Yeah, 100%. We, we are adding a line to our contract that says with the seller, because sometimes what happens is you get into an agreement with the seller. And then if someone's trying to backdoor you, they will, they'll try to go dark on you and then sign with someone else. And so it basically the new line says you agree to not enter into a contract with anyone else and that you're not already in a contract with someone else um, just to give us a little bit more protection. But ultimately mm -hmm. if people are going to try to squirm out of a deal, like there it's, there's not much you can do is what my experience has been. It's, it's less, it's not worth the time um, with that. So that's um, I was curious about, you know, MLS access is kind of spotty, right? Like you can get certain areas, but not others. Are, do you have any challenges with that? Or are you guys able to get access everywhere? So to be honest, we actually don't have MLS access um, in Indiana. We do in California because I'm, I'm licensed, um, but we don't in Indiana. So, and of course, like Zillow comps, like they're not very accurate. So actually literally just starting the other day, we, 
registered for, I think it's called Flip Stuff by Jerry Norton. Mm. And it's like a comp pulling tool, mm. but it pulls the comps from like all the different databases. And we found mm. that being really helpful because it's brought to our eyes comps that we didn't even see before. Mm. And that I would really recommend because it gives you like a list and then you, you obviously do your due diligence on the comps it gives you. If you decide, right, this is actually a good comp, you check a little box and then all the comps you check, it gives you an average per square foot, an average sale price and the ARV. Mm. And what we've seen so far is the ARV has been pretty spot on mm. to what we do when we do our due diligence, which takes longer. Um, so we've found that to be like pretty accurate so far. Mm. And you can export the comps as well. So you can upload them straight into your CRM or put them on InvestorLift, whatever mm. you, you want to do. Um, so we're, we're really enjoying uh, using that right now. That's awesome. What uh, is it called again? It is called, um, let's, let me pull it up. It's called Flipstar. Uh, Flipstar. Flipstar. So F-L-I-P-S-T-E-R. Flipstar. Okay. Because, you know, as you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, duh, of course, like, I'm missing all of the off-market comps because those don't show up when you search in the MLS. And it's like, so you just, you're missing all those and there's plenty of transactions. So you can see what are buyers paying for off-market deals, which is what we're trying to do. So that's huge. That's a huge tip. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. And also, I'm kind of unorthodox, but we also look at our past sales, like the ones that we've wholesaled we sometimes use them as comps, um, especially mm -hmm. for buyers. So we say, look, we sold this one for this amount. It was in worse condition in the same neighborhood. But we know that we can sell this for that based on our own comp. So right. once you start doing like a decent amount of deals, you can start using your own deals as comps as well. Totally. That's awesome. I really, that's, that's really cool. That's a great share right there. Um, and, and you guys are using Investor Lift currently? Yes, we are. Okay. And are you on Lieutenant or are you on the lower one? We are on uh, the lower one at the moment. We've been on it for about two months. So we're hoping at the end of November, we'll be able to be upgraded to Lieutenant. Okay. Got it. Got it. And have you had good experience with that so far? Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. Um, I feel like it was very hyped up to um, like send emails out, send text messages out and get in front of way more buyers than usual. So right. I, I do think it is very good and I think it's going to prove to be more and more important over the next like six months when all the buyers are hedging against the market crash. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause that's sort of the big, the big question is if you start expanding, if you don't use investor lift, what happens? I, I think, you know, we used investor lift through the Lieutenant mode and sent out some deals and found that our buyers list um the good buyers like weren't responding through investor lift they didn't want to use that platform um and then we were getting offers of you know like 20 25 higher uh 20 to 25,000 more from our own personal outreach versus going through the the system there so we have a really robust buyers list in indiana as well so i think that that might be part of it but as we expand it's kind of that's, that's there in the background, like maybe we'll go back to it. So I think still yet to be seen, but if not, you know, sounds like Flipster, even using stuff like PropStream um, is a really good place to find, to find buyers. Um, 
like I would go in and just do cash buyers that, have, that have happened in the last 90 days. And you can do a never listed on prop stream. So you can see all the off market ones too, for, for people that haven't seen that. So. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. 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 I'm, I just write that down. I'm going to um, explore that because we're always looking to obviously expand our cash buyers list. So that would be a really good way of doing it. How do you market to those people? So you can, you can actually do it in a, in a couple of ways, which is cool. You can say um, businesses only, or you can say personal, like individuals only. So if you do individuals only, then you will be able to find their phone number. So there's, mm -hmm. there's, you know, so there's going to be a handful of people there. Now with that way, when it's someone that's not buying in an LLC, they're probably a little bit less savvy and potentially will pay more for a deal. So I would think that those are really good for your like one to two deals a year type of people. But those people are going to like typically aren't going to just buy off an email from my experience. Um, um, those are people that you kind of have to build a relationship with a little bit more. So your disposition person has to warm them up, check them in. How are you doing? And then be like, I have the perfect deal for you and really get them excited. Um, so there's that where you can search by buyer type personal uh, individual and then you do buyer type by business name and then that way it's just a little bit harder honestly you kind of just have to look it up and see if you can find them online because as you probably know skip tracing businesses for phone numbers is like almost impossible to get anything reliable yeah that's very true um i actually have a resource for that um i don't know if you're uh, familiar with cole johnson uh, but he, he's a, basically, he's a wholesaler in the Seattle market in San Diego. And he put me in touch with this company called Matimart. Um, they basically uh, specialize in skip tracing LLCs. Uh, I've only done it once, so I'm not sure on how accurate the data is, but I can definitely um, send you over my contacts there and he might be able to help you out. It's a little bit more expensive than regular skip tracing. Sure. I think it's about 20 cents a lead. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, for buyers, it's such a smaller amount anyways that at 20 cents a lead is no no big deal. Um, and then what I would do is load those up and then you can create di dialer campaigns for your dispositions agent too. And that's our that's our next step is getting our, our dispositions agent, Jennifer, doing dialer campaigns. And, and what we're doing is we're, we're tiering our buyers within our system. So like if we talk to them every day because they're always looking at deals, we don't want them on our dialer list. But if they're like tier two or three, three being they've never responded, two they've opened emails but have never bought, those are people that we want to like call through and check in with them and like what's going on. Like do they not have a hard money lender that they um, work with? Do they not have a contractor? Can we give them some referrals? So – I think this time now than more than ever, like, and I'd be interested in your opinion of this, like having relationship driven dispositions, I think is just like, you gotta do it. And you have to bring like more value than ever before and make it easier than ever before for your buyers. What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I think of course, like in regards to building up credibility and finding consistent buyers, you've got, you've got, you've got to show um, them the service that you can offer and you want to make yourself stand out definitely so that, they, that you become their go-to. Um, I also think that it is definitely more of a hard sale though on dispositions compared to acquisitions. Um, 
because obviously with acquisitions, it's all about building like rapport, being kind, offering these services, understanding these people. But with buyers, especially if you've got a good deal, like it's pretty like get to the point, you play by our rules or like you don't buy the deal. Um, but of course you have to have flexibility with that as well. Sure. So you have to be flexible. You have to be able to give people referrals to contractors, especially if like it's a deal that's not moving as fast as you want. Like some of those new buyers that don't have those connections, if you can help them with that, then you you could potentially have a buyer for the rest of like your business life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I posted a video earlier in um, that wholesaling mastery group and I was talking about setting offer deadlines. Um, is that something that you guys adhere to as well? Like all offers end by this date and time? Yeah, we tried that, but it didn't really like work mm. uh, for us because we were basically we were setting like an offer due date, but then when we weren't getting offers by that date, it just kind of looked a bit stupid on us. Um, so we kind of removed that from our marketing, um, but we still like to follow like um, getting at least three offers per property before we accept one. I really like that. Get three. So if you've only got one, you're going to have your dispositions agent calling people to just at least say, Hey, where would you be on this? Right. Right. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Um, I saw Jake pop in. Do you need to hop off? Uh, no, I should be all right. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. For the dispositions portion of things, um, what we do is we don't put an offer deadline on the email but we will send the offer deadline once they respond and say, Hey, I'm interested. I want to see it. The eventually we're going to send them an offer deadline. Even if there's just one buyer, everyone is going to get that. And we've had times like it was kind of crazy last month. We had a deal out for, I think it was like a 15 K spread. And this guy, we, we only had people like a little bit below our asking price. So we would have made maybe 13. And then this guy just really wanted this deal. So he offered 20 K above our asking price because we set that offer deadline. And we only had like, we didn't even really have serious interest from anyone else, but because we set it and he felt the competition of it. Um, he was like, I want this deal. And he, and he shot really high. So, um, might be something worth revisiting. Like it doesn't create great offers every time, but every once in a while, somebody just is like, I need this house. And then they'll throw out a crazy offer. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I think maybe we could implement something. So like maybe not as soon as we send the deal out, not setting like an offer deadline, but maybe once we have some interest already, then creating an offer deadline for those interested people. I think that would work well for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would highly highly recommend that. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you jumping on with me and talking to me a little bit. I think that, that we're going to get a lot of good response to this. This has been very like poignant. And I think the audience we want to talk to through the wholesaling mastery group and also through this podcast is people that are like really doing deals and like building their business. So this is like the type of in the weeds stuff that people have questions about. So I really appreciate you coming on and like just sharing openly and um, I'd love to have you on again. And, and also like, hopefully we can do a deal together at some time in the future. Yeah, definitely. I'd love that. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And um, thanks for joining the show.
All right, Chris. Appreciate you. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Level 10 Podcast. You can head over to level10official.com to learn more about our courses, coaching, and everything else that we offer. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. Go out there and take it to the next level.